and let us seek to ask God's blessing on his word. Father, here we are before you. Your word opened before us, and we look to you to work powerfully in and through it. Oh, Father, help us to see Jesus. Give us eyes to see, to see him in his glory and his power and his goodness, that we would see Jesus and our hearts would leap for joy. That we would be filled with your peace, your love, your joy in believing. That we would see him and believe and hold fast to him as our only hope. So, Father, help us this morning to see this and to cling to Jesus in this way. For it's in him we ask it even. Amen. Luke 8, beginning at verse 22. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he woke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and they were calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? This is one of my most favorite verses, passages, stories about Jesus. And the reason for it is because what we discover about Jesus is unbelievable. Because of what it means to us and to our lives right here today some 2,000 plus years after Jesus came to earth. I'm convinced actually that if Jesus will allow us to understand who he is as he is revealed in here in this story, that it will greatly impact our peace and our joy in the Lord. And I say this because what we understand and believe about Jesus in relationship to what happens even in our own lives, changes the nature of what happens in our lives. So in the same way this event changed the disciples' lives forever, as you could tell, they were pretty wowed. In the same way, I pray that this will also change how we see the storms in our lives. And if this is going to happen, one of the first things we need to understand and see here is that Jesus' power is limitless, infinite. If anything has ever demonstrated that Jesus is Lord of all, it was this event. Wasn't it? Jesus is Lord of all. It was this event. Jesus speaks to the storm, and what happens? It immediately obeys him. That's pretty astounding, actually. It says in verse 24 that he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, 
and there was a calm. Now that's some pretty freaky power. Amazing. And the disciples knew it. Because at this point, guess what's happened? Already what's happened before this happens, Jesus, he's raised people from the dead. He's cast out all kinds of demons. He's healed almost every sickness you could imagine. He's raised up the lame. He's forgiven sins. He's turned water into wine. He curses a fig tree and the thing dies. And yet, the disciples encounter a power that absolutely freaks them out. Which proves his unlimited power over all things. This is what the disciples say in verse 25. This is how they respond, actually, and then what they say. They respond like this. They were afraid. Really? Just saved their lives. They were actually terrified prior to this because they thought they were dying, right? Master, master, what do you say? Um, Just want you to know something. We're dying. It's over. And they, they marveled. It says, so they were afraid and they marveled. Like, whoa, we thought the storm was something. They say to one another, who is this? Who is this that commands even winds and water and they obey him? Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Who is this? Who speaks to creation and at his very word, it instantly obeys him? Well, I can only think of one person. God. And indeed, that's exactly what we find out in Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 16. It says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So clearly... What we're seeing is a dramatic manifestation of the, the power of his word that Jesus is indeed God. Who else speaks to creation and it instantly obeys him? And this means that what the Bible says about God, it says, it's saying about Jesus. This is who he is. And just let our minds and our hearts reflect a bit on the power and the sovereign rule and governance of God. Because believe me, it transforms your heart as you hear your eyes get fixed on who is this Jesus. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning And from the ancient times, things yet not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Psalm 135.6 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, He does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. Isaiah 45.7 declares, I form the light and create darkness. 
I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Even things like the rolling of dice, he controls according to Proverbs 16.33, where it states that the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And even on a grand scale, we see according to Job 12.23 that he makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and he leads them away. And then in Proverbs 21.1, it reveals that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. This is why when we see Jesus before Pilate, I love this scene. If you remember when he's before Pilate, Pilate is dumbfounded that Jesus isn't talking to him, responding to him. And, and, and he says this to Jesus. He says, you do not speak to me. Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and have the authority to crucify you? Hey, Jesus, don't you understand that I have power? Don't you understand that I actually could, I could save your life and you're not saying a thing? Don't you get it how the world works, Jesus? To which Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Jesus knew the evil plan he was submitting to. He was submitting to. Because he knew that he could have said a word and exploded Pilate. Pilate, do you want to disintegrate right now? I can help you. But no. Jesus is like, Pilate, you don't even understand. You don't get it. This is the kind of power that Jesus has. So as it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, in him, in Jesus, we've obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who, listen to this, works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, when it says all things, you know what it means? All things. It means that even the hard and the evil things that befall us. Jerry Bridges in his book, Trusting God Even When Life Hurts, which is an amazing book, by the way, He says it well when explaining this whole idea of God ruling even over evil. He writes, not only are the willful evil acts of other people under God's sovereign control, so also are the mistakes and failures of other people. Did another driver go through a red light, strike your car, and send you to the hospital with multiple fractures? Did a physician fail to detect your cancer in its early stages when it would have been treatable? Did you end up with an incomplete, uh, sorry, incompetent instructor in, in a very important course in college or an inept supervisor who blocked your career in business? All of these things are under the controlling hand of our sovereign God who is working them out in our lives for our good. Neither the willful, malicious acts nor the unintended mistakes of people can thwart God's purposes for us. As Proverbs 21.30 says, there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. That is why Dr. Bridges went on to say, 
Nothing is so small or trivial as to escape the attention of God's sovereign control. Nothing is so great as to be beyond his power to control it. The insignificant sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his will. The mighty Roman Empire cannot crucify Jesus Christ unless the power is given to it by God. And what is true of the sparrow and for Jesus is true for you and me. No detail of your life is too insignificant for your heavenly Father's attention. No circumstance is so high that He cannot control it. But here's the problem. As as uh, Jerry Bridges goes on to state in his book, he, he identifies a very clear problem with this. He says that it's difficult to see God working through secondary causes and frail, sinful human beings. Yet... To believe in the sovereignty of God when we do not see his direct intervention? When God is, so to speak, working entirely behind the scenes through ordinary circumstances and ordinary actions of people is even more important because that is the way God usually works. A great example of this is the life of Joseph, isn't it? Most of us know about Joseph all the crazy and miscellaneous events of his life, which seemed so bad and worse for a while, they all end up together in one of the best and wonderful endings someone's story could end. As we know, Joseph was thrown into a pit by his brothers. Nice. Love you too. To die. And whew, he was rescued. That's nice. To become a slave, a servant in the house. And then he gets falsely accused. He's doing what's right. Surely God would bless him. No. He ends up falsely accused and goes to prison. Goes to prison, helps one guy out. He forgets about him. Leaves him there. Nice. Real nice. And then one day... Pharaoh's having troubles figuring out a dream, and they find out through the grapevine, oh yeah, there's this Joseph guy, and he knows how to interpret dreams. Brings him to Pharaoh and tells Pharaoh, yeah, this is what your dream is. And Pharaoh elevates him to the right hand of power. Now, of course, this whole story, what's what's kind of wild about it, it's really a type and a shadow of Jesus. And what's really, really astounding is that at the end of it, Through all the evils and horrible circumstances, God was working. He was in all of it. And he raised Joseph to this right hand of power. And then Joseph ends up being the deliverer of his very brothers and families who betrayed him. He delivers them. He saves them from the great famine. And what's so great at the end of it is that he... he, Joseph clearly gets what God is doing. Because listen to what Joseph says. He says to his brothers... You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. Wow. He sees the sovereign hand of God in his life. Through the details, even prison, even betrayal, Joseph clearly gets what God is doing. But now when it comes to you and me, and we get back to the story of Jesus, and we see in the storms of life enter in, 
What do we believe? What do you believe about the storm? And who do you believe is in the storm with you? Who ordained the storm? And who's lying there in the boat? Are we freaking out like the disciples because we don't understand who's in the boat? Or has God helped us to see who is in the boat with us? And so we get close to him and we cling to him knowing that he knows what is best for us. Trusting him. And you know what? You cannot do that unless you know everything in your life is from his sovereign hand. The only thing that allow you to trust him is that if he is God and if he is over it and he is ordaining it, I can trust him. I can't put my confidence in a power that's inept, that's kind of like not too strong. I mean, you can only trust, you can only put your confidence if you know that that there's someone greater than the storm. Because typically, storms like this cause you to die. And normally, because of that, being weak creatures, that freaks us out. And it ought to freak you out. Hey, guys, don't know if you understand anything, but we're dying here. It's over. That's freaky. That's scary. And we're frail human beings. And we cannot cast our trust in. We cannot put our hope in. We cannot get our, give our confidence and put it in God. If he is not over that, if he can't speak to that, if he doesn't have authority and a power, if he has not ordained that, I cannot rest in him. We have to know that Jesus' power is limitless. We have to understand that he's ordaining all that comes to pass, that this is his will, that he is working this out for our good. We have to know that, that he's capable of doing that. Otherwise, we can't trust him. But you know what? It's not just knowing his limitless power that gives you confidence. There's another aspect of this. There's another component to fully and full and complete trust. And it's this. His love and his goodness. Because raw power is actually scary. All by itself, if all you have is like, if someone can speak to the wind and the waves and they obey him, if someone could say, let there be light and there is light, I'll tell you, that person... If you get too close to that power, raw power, that can make you almost lose faculties. It is terrifying. It would be terrifying. But we have to know that he's good. We have to know that he's loving. And when we look at Jesus, we can see that his love is actually boundless. It's just, it's amazing. In this account of Jesus calming the storm, he doesn't do it to simply show his power. Uh, Watch this one, boys. That's not it. Even though he does demonstrate his power, the reason he does it is out of love for his disciples. And how can I say that? Because he sees their worry and concern after waking him. He He knows what's going on. He can see that they're freaking out. And because of that, he calms the storm for their sake. And I say this because the storm wouldn't have bothered Jesus one bit. That's why he's sleeping in it. 
<laughs> just like they're dumbfounded. How? How? Like, just explain to me how? How do you sleep right now? Don't you? Uh, do you understand how this works, Jesus? It's like, check these out: big waves, wind, uh, the boat. You know, when more water's going in than you can bail out, and it's just purely, it's just a matter of time, and we go down. And you, you cannot swim in this this kind of storm. You're dead. It's over. And I just want to inform you, Jesus. Yeah. Well, you know, Jesus could have said, you know what? I don't know. Uh, this would be a great chance to really stretch these guys. Put them right out of their minds. That'd be kind of funny, actually. And then last minute, right before they drowned, cause them to bob in the water like a floaty. There. There's my power. It doesn't matter. I mean, Jesus could have been thrown. He isn't concerned. Oh, throw me into the water. Jesus could have said, just started walking on the water. We know that. (laughs) He's done that before. It's no big deal to him. And he could have just, like, not cared about the disciples and actually got a kick out of their um, panic and freaking out and just watched them squirm. But he doesn't. He immediately, he sees their concern, and it causes him to respond. And, he, and then he says immediately, he sees, he, he, gets, he wakes in verse 23. And then he awoke, look at, awoke and rebuked, verse 23. He awoke and immediately rebukes it. He rebukes the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. Jesus had love and compassion for his disciples. He didn't want to see them continue to freak out, so he calmed the storm. It's Jesus Jesus' love and compassion that cause him to do whatever he does. You know why? Because he is love. That's his very nature. So what he does, he does out of love. We know that's his ultimate motive. We know that there's no greater love that he has because we know the rest of the story. He's going to demonstrate a love that's unthinkable. He's going to give his life up, die, for sinful People who hate him, persecute him, throw him out, beat him up, spit on him, falsely accuse him, deny him, cheat on him, you name it, they did it to him. Those are the people he did it for. No greater love. This is what motivates Jesus in everything he does. He does what he does out of love. And this is the central a central issue to our trusting him. You putting your complete and utter confidence in Jesus is contingent upon you believing in his love. Because without this, it isn't too secure of a feeling simply knowing that there's someone who can speak to storms and cause them to cease. Just having raw power like this is kind of like knowing a guy who has a property and he has got 50 caliber machine guns all over it. And he's a little bit of a madman. Well, if you're, friend, you're his friend and you're on his property, it's not too bad. But if you had to approach his property and you had no idea what he thought of, thought of you, you'd be a little concerned. You're not too confident. You're not too trusting. You're not too desirous to uh, approach him because that's a little too scary. And thankfully with Jesus, this isn't the case. Jesus has way more power than any crazy madman or any person with a whole bunch of 50 caliber machine guns. And yet, he loves us 
and he has our best interests in mind. Just think, if the disciples, perhaps if the disciples had known how great Jesus' power was, and if they were convinced of his boundless love for them, they could have been sleeping right next to him, knowing that nothing in this world can harm them. Nothing. Why? What's a wave? What's a storm? We didn't know Jesus. You could just like whisper, have a thought. And it's all gone. So we, we put our absolute trust in you. But they didn't do that, did they? They freaked out. Because they knew that you don't survive storms like this. And they also didn't know at this point. They really didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't fully get the depth and the breadth of who he was and his power and his glory and his goodness. They still weren't there yet. And, you know, we're a lot the same way, aren't we? Are we just like them in so many ways? We're freaking out in the middle of our storm. We don't understand how it is that God is apparently, he seems, God, apparently God, you're sleeping. (laughs) Because you don't seem to care. Hello, do you see what I'm going through? Do you see what's happening? And if you were so loving and you're so good and you're so powerful, you would see this, surely you would see this and, and you would do something. So we begin to doubt who he is and what he's like. Because we don't understand what he's doing. We don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. And the only way we can cast our cares, the only way we can cast our burdens, the only way we can completely and confidently trust him is how? Is to know that God has got to open our eyes to see Jesus and know that Jesus is all-powerful, working all things according to the counsel of will, working all things out for our good. We need to know that, and we need to know that he loves us. He he has nothing but our best interests in mind. If If you're not convinced of that, you will not give him your cares, your worries, your anxieties, your stress, your burdens, and leave them there and then say, thank you, Jesus, for taking them and doing the very best with them. Thank you. Thank you, because I can just completely trust you. We need to know that Jesus would, truly folks, Jesus would look at, look at you, and he would solemnly swear that he, to you, he'll say this, I will never do anything or allow anything into your life that will not be for your good. Do you realize that Jesus has said that? He says to you, listen, my people, I will not allow and understand who I am who's saying this. Allow anything in your life that is not for your good. I will work it all for your good. That's, that's what I've already, I promised I will, and I am. That's what I'm doing. By reading and understanding who Jesus is, we can be certain that he would say to us, my children, my children, listen to me. Trust me. Even when it hurts and the world stands against you and everything seems to be crashing in on you and the storm is raging around you, know that I am with you 
And I so control the affairs of men and the events of life and all of creation that not a thing will happen to you that is not for your good. But of course, your circumstances, the world, and the devil will lie to you and tell you otherwise. Do you realize that's the very trick that Satan always loves to play? In the very beginning in the garden, he got Eve to question God's goodness. Oh, he's only holding out on you. He knows that when you eat it, you'll be like him, knowing the difference between good and evil. That's, don't you see what God's up to? He's a jerk. He's mean. He's, like, he's cruel. He's like this puppet master. He loves to mess with you. Those are lies that come into our heads. And we mean, if you doubt the goodness and the love of God, you have trouble confidently trusting Him. Trusting Jesus in the middle of your storm is the only thing that pleases Him. You know what? That just delights God. Your trust. Psalm 147, 10 through 11 puts it this way. God's delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. He's not impressed with your strength. Oh, look at them. They're so mighty. You know, look, I can't believe how he endures such a trial. Look at me. You know, I could take on the world. I'm so tough. Bring it on, Lord. You know me. That doesn't delight him one bit. That doesn't please him. You sitting there cockily thinking that you can take on whatever. No, if you've ever gone through suffering, you'll realize your weakness. I can't. I'm done. I can't. I can't take it. I can't endure it. I can't stand up under it. I can't take it and carry these burdens, these cares, these concerns, and all these issues of life. I cannot. And if you think you can, you're deceived, and you've not yet been crushed enough by your load, by your burden. One of the greatest things about our, the cares, concerns, and burdens of this world is it'll expose in you your utter and complete weakness and get you to say, I can't. He will empty you of yourself, but Lord, you can. And if you cast your cares and your burdens and concerns upon him and trust him, say, Lord, I can't, but you can, and I trust you. You take no pleasure in my strength, but you take pleasure in me knowing that you are all powerful and you are good and that you will give to me only, only what is good for me. So if you care to please the Lord, don't try to impress him. Trust him. And these are the, because you know, the the two legs upon which our faith stands are the absolute confidence in Jesus' limitless power and his boundless love. And the only way you have strength to stand is be you're convinced of that. You trust him. You you, you just put your confidence in him. Perhaps you're sitting there this morning and you think, man, if I could only remember this in the middle of the week. Right? Isn't that how it is? 
thing is, you know, we can, but we must do something. We must daily meditate on who God is. Who is Jesus? What is he like? What has he done for me? If Jesus doesn't and God doesn't become really, really big in your estimation and everything else become really, really small, your faith shrivels. Because you have to re- realize what he's done. You know, if you can just think, well, I you know, read your couple chapters a day, your Bible, and pray, and go down your way, and away you go. It's not, that won't do it. Because the whole point of the, if you read your Bible, you're doing it for one reason. You're reading it to see how awesome and great and powerful your God is and how boundless in his love he is. And if he's got to get big, he's got to become great. He's got to become awesome. Man, I, even this morning, as, I'm, as the scriptures was read to us, Psalm 46, my heart was enlarging. And I don't know about yours, as just as I'm listening and God is just... I mean, it happens that quick as I hear about how great he is, how awesome he is, and what he does. He controls all things. I'm sitting there going, yes! I just get fired up. Why? Well, it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with my circumstances. It has everything to do with my God. He's awesome. And if he becomes amazing, he becomes powerful, he becomes great and good, everything else just shrivels away. And even as I was preparing this sermon... How amazing it was for me. I went online. I just um, I said, what does the Bible say about God's sovereignty? And there's a, there's a, a site called openbible.info. And it'll just, all it does is list all these passages. It's got like three sheets of it. I just read. And as I'm reading, I'm like, oh, wow. This is good. This is so good. You know, your faith is just growing. And it's like, that's the God I serve. Yes. So good. But just as easily, my faith can... Start shrinking. As I, you know, I devour news articles. Oh, man, the world's going down. Oh, it's bad out there. There's going to be, won't be long, an economic collapse. How are, are you guys investing properly? You know, it's like, whoo, this is out of control. What is happening in, in America? It's like, oh, no, evil's winning. You know, all that's happening. Have you been there? I, oh, where's the Kleenex? I'm sweating. This is crazy. Okay, well, how's my family? Well, how's everything at? How's my finances? And you're freaking out, right? Yeah, so much for your faith. It's not too difficult for life to swallow your faith. All you have to do, and here's a trick. If that's what you want, keep focusing on your problems. Keep looking. Keep looking at your circumstances. so well time keep staring at the size of the waves and it won't be long and your life will be filled with fear anxiety doubt and a massive lack of faith Do you realize that the only difference between a joy-filled, peaceful Christian and a depressed, anxiety-ridden Christian is where they have their eyes fixed? One has their eyes fixed on Jesus, who he is, what he's done, and what he's told them he's going to do for them. 
And the others have their eyes fixed on their circumstances, their predicament, and how awful things are. Where are you at right now? Where are your eyes fixed? Are you overwhelmed by the storms in your life? Are you filled with anxiety, fear, worry, grumbling, complaining, hopelessness, and anxiety, despair? Does it seem like Jesus is asleep while a storm is raging around you? Or are you convinced of Jesus' power and living in a sense of his goodness and love? Are you convinced that, man, my God is so good? Is your mind filled with an understanding of a sovereign rule over everything? Are you excited about your future for no other reason but because Jesus is on his throne and your heavenly Father, they love you? And they want nothing but your best? If you're those who tend to look at the waves and not at Jesus, then simply, simply begin to fix your eyes on Jesus daily. And know that he is in the boat with you. He is beside you. He is in control of the storm. And he will only do what is best for you. Because until you can rest right now in his boundless love and his limitless power, you'll be filled with nothing but fear in the middle of the storm. May Jesus become really big and great and good to you. And your heart will be filled with joy. Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for everything that's in our lives. Because you are good. And you're powerful and you're ordaining all that comes to pass and everything in our lives. And you're working it for our good. And you are more than worthy of our trust, of our confidence. So, Father, we give you everything every burden, every care, every concern, everything in our hearts that weighing us down and the, and the storms in life that are pounding against us. And Lord Jesus, we have confidence. We know that you, you will do its best. And we know that you're there with us. You're with us. And will only give us what we need because you love us. Thank you. Praise you for your goodness. Amen.